0: Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today we begin an exciting and a thrilling new journey through the seven churches of Revelation. You know, one thing that I notice as a pastor, so many Christians avoid the book of Revelation. I think, um, you know, from what so many tell me, sometimes the book can feel mysterious, sometimes it can even seem scary. And I think for many Christians, Reading Revelation is like standing in a field of thick fog. Sometimes you just don't know what to make of it. Well, you know, the book of Revelation is the only book of the Bible that God gives a special promise of a blessing to those who read and study it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. And today, I want to talk about why the book is so important. And I'm going to kind of give some foundational truths out of Revelation chapter 1. So if you are someone that you don't quite understand the meaning of the book, well, I hope you'll stick with me through this whole series as we study the seven churches of Revelation. All right, uh, today I want to begin a new series on the book of Revelation. And we're going to be in chapter one today. We're going to cover chapter one. We're going to do a deep dive into uh, the first three chapters. Now, I'm working on a series separate from this that will uh, be available, but we're not doing it on Sunday mornings. And it's called A Panoramic View of Bible Prophecy. Isn't that odd for a blind pastor to do a panoramic view? But anyway, I see the irony in it. But Anyways, uh, I am teaching in chronological order the book of Revelation, and all of the events, when they happen, how it fits. It's like putting a big puzzle together, and we're going to release that series after a while. I'm three videos into it right now, and I suspect there'll be about 15 teachings on a chronological view, a chronological Path of prophecy. Now, for our purposes for this, we are only in the first three chapters of Revelation, and together we're going to study the seven churches of Revelation. Now, for many people, the book of Revelation is like standing in a field with thick fog. For many, the book is mysterious to them, for many, the book can seem scary. But what I'm going to aim to do is I'm going to try to bring you clarity in what God's Word says. Because, you know, Revelation 1 verse 3 gives a very special promise to those who read and to those who study its prophecy. And we're going to see today chapter 1. I'm going to pray that the Lord helps me to remember All that I want to share with you in this wonderful chapter. So let's dive right in. Now, typically, here, I've been doing it more so here lately, but I'm typically not the type of pastor that I'll give you a few points and they all start with the first letter, right? Sometimes, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church and those Baptist roots come out and you know, I'll give you three points or four points, and they all start, well, that's today. (laughs) Uh, As I have tried to get my own hands around chapter one, I just think it's beneficial. I just think it's helpful if we can look at it in four areas. So today I want to show you, out of chapter one, we're first going to see the purpose of the book, okay? And then secondly, we're going to see the plight Of John the Apostle. Why is he positioned where he is? Why is he writing what he writes? What is the Lord doing in his life? And then number three, we're going to see the picture or the portrait of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting that when Jesus was in Galilee, I mean, when he was just an average looking man and God came down, Emmanuel God with us. He came and was robed in flesh. You know, you couldn't pick Jesus out of a crowd. But it's very different how he looks now in heaven as a glorified body. John describes this beautiful image of Jesus Christ. And we're going to break it down today. And then lastly, I'm going to show you the promise. Fourthly, the promise that Jesus makes to all believers. So we're going to see the purpose of the book, the plight of John. We're gonna see the portrait of Christ and we're gonna see the purpose, or I'm sorry, the promise to his followers. If you know the very first phrase of chapter one, John calls this a revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, many people mess up and they call the book Revelations. I kind of chuckle when I hear somebody say Revelations. You ever hear people say the Walmarts? Where are you going? The Walmarts. I'm I'm sorry, you're going to all of them? Uh, Or the one on Stone Drive? I I don't know. (laughs) sometimes, Sometimes people mistakenly say the book of revelations. But I want to be crystal clear today. The book is a revelation, singular, of a one thing. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is the unveiling. It is the revealing. Of who Jesus truly is. The word picture in the Greek. Is if I had a beautiful portrait up here on the platform. And I had covered this painting with a silk cloth. And I had announced. At 1130 this morning. I'm going to unveil. Or I'm going to reveal this beautiful portrait. And I had this cloth over it. What would I do? At the moment of the unveiling. I would pull the cloth. I would unveil the portrait. Well, this is what John has done for us. This is the unveiling. This is the revealing of who Jesus truly is. And let me tell you, if you read the book of Revelation only to figure out what's the mark of the beast, who's the Antichrist, who's the false prophet, what's the Armageddon, what's all the... Listen, If that's the only purpose, if that's your only reason for reading the book, you miss the entire purpose of the book. You miss it all because the book's not about those things. The book is about Jesus and what his lordship is and his sovereign power is over all of the universe. That's the purpose of the book of Revelation. It is the unveiling. It is the revealing of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't miss the great purpose of the book. Listen, we don't need to know what the mark of the beast is. We don't need to know what those things. Listen, there are some things in the book of Revelation. They are interpretation of the word of God. They matter. We can make sense of some things. But then there are other things that's speculative. And we don't need to know. You don't need to know when Jesus is going to come back. Let me tell you, if you figure out the date, be assured you're a heretic. And it's false, and it's not right. Don't waste your energy on things that we're not to know. Rather, focus on what we are to know. And that's where God will speak to you out of the book of Revelation. The second purpose is that God is going to reveal to us what is to come. Yes, we can know seasons. Jesus said in the book of Luke, you can interpret the weather. You see when the fig tree blossoms, you know it's summer. You can see, you can interpret, and you know when seasons change. So it is, we ought to know what's coming. Do you understand that? Because the Bible says in Thessalonians that we are children of the day. We're not children of the night that these things should overtake us. Look at all the rioting going on in our country right now. Is racism a problem in this nation? Yes it is. And let me just say as a pastor, let me be crystal clear on this matter. I don't care how you grew up. I don't care what your family background is. There is no place in racism in the in the people of God. There's no place of it in the church. No place whatsoever. And I assure you, there'll be no place in heaven as every kindred and every tribe and every language will be gathered around the throne of God. Amen? There's no place for it here. And I don't care how you grew up, but be assured of this. There's all kinds of forms of racism and there's all kinds of agendas in our country today. All kinds of groups have agendas. And I'll tell you, I don't get into politics, but on this matter, in this rioting, I'll tell you right now, these groups, and I don't care if it's white or black, or I don't care if it's Antifa, or any of this other mess, they all have an agenda. And Christians ought to rise above it. We should rise above the noise. Amen? So, don't get entangled. Don't get wrapped up in their loud voices. Don't get entangled with their agendas. What did Jesus tell us to do? Look up. Amen? That's what Revelation helps us do. Listen, church, the Bible tells us crystal clear the last days will be dangerous, perilous days. We know what's happening on the earth. That's why we should look up. Now, what's the purpose? To tell us what is to come. To tell us what is about to happen. My personal belief is that the book of Revelation is in perfect chronological order. And I'll get into all of that in the panoramic view of prophecy series. But for today, let me just say this and not get way off in the weeds. Matthew chapter 24, it was Peter, James, Andrew, And John the Apostle that came to Jesus privately and said, tell us when these things will be. And who was the last Apostle to die? John the Beloved. You know what Jesus is doing in verse 1? He's answering the question of His disciples to the last remaining Apostle. And He's going to tell us, He's going to tell His servants, John is the servant of Christ, We are the servants of Christ, and Jesus is going to tell us these things that must soon take place. Amen? So the purpose of the book is to reveal Jesus. It's to tell us what is soon to come, and it is to give a blessing to those who read and pay attention. Chapter 1, verse 3. Why? Because what does he say? The time is near, and we're watching it unfold before our very, very eyes. Now, if you notice, John says he's going to write to the seven churches. Now, I want to answer this question. Does this mean that there were only seven churches in John's day? Oh, absolutely not. There are multiple churches of John's day. I mean, in the book of Acts, there's a church in Jerusalem. There's a church in Antioch. There's a church in Macedonia. We know that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in Corinth, the books of Corinthians. We know he wrote Philippians to the church at Philippi. He wrote Ephesus. He wrote Ephesians to the people of Ephesus. He wrote Colossians to the people of Coloss. He wrote Thessalonians to the people of Thessalonica. There are all kinds of churches in that day. But why seven? Why did Jesus choose seven? Well, you and I need to understand, numbers are significant in the Bible. They have great symbolism in the Word of God. God loves numbers. and God is a God of precision. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. And what I'm going to do throughout this intriguing study on the seven churches, beginning next week, we'll take a church a week, all seven churches throughout the summer, and what we'll do is I'm going to show you how each church speaks to today's church seven churches, seven letters, seven messages to today's Christian. I'm going to show you how they not only have a word for each church of our day, they not only have a word for every single church of this day and age, they also have a historical view. I'm of the persuasion and I'll show you throughout this series how each church represents a time period in history. For example, the church of Ephesus would have been the apostolic age, and the church of Smyrna. You know, Jesus told the church of Smyrna, there'll be 10 days of persecution. Did you know there were exactly 10 waves of persecution under the Roman Empire? He told the church of Smyrna, you're dead. And you know what age that represents? Those middle ages that... That time when God's word was locked up and unavailable. That dark period. The church of Philadelphia, he said, I will set before you an open door that no man can open and no man can close. There will be an opportunity ahead of you. Do you know what age that represents? I believe it represents the 1700s and the 1800s. Friends, do you know when global missions exploded? It's in the 1700s. In 1800's. Hallelujah. There was a door set before the church. That no man could close. And can anybody deny. Could anybody refute. That today's church. Is not the church of Laodicea. We are rich. Wealthy. Overweight. Lazy. And we have need of nothing. So it seems. Could anyone refute. That we are not living in the Laodicean church age. Are we the last age of the church? I believe we are. What is next on God's agenda? My belief is after 20 times the church is mentioned in the book of Revelation. 19 times in the first three chapters. Only one time at the end of the book. The church is no more mentioned after chapter 3 through all the tribulation period. Do you know why I believe that is? Because the rapture is next. And the church will be called away. Amen? Now, I'm getting way off in the weeds. Where am I? Good. And I, I, see, I get talking about this and I get too excited. Where? where okay, so... Why seven churches? Because it's the number of completeness. Are we the final church age? I believe so. I believe we are number seven. The number of completeness. Is history about to be completed? I believe it is. Now, John says some interesting things going on throughout chapter one. He'll, he'll say greetings uh, you know, from, from not only Jesus Christ, grace and peace to the church, but listen what he says. He says, seven spirits of God from the throne. What's he mean by that? Commentators will scratch their heads on this. And, and, and again, I agree with, with those who say this is not seven individual Holy Spirits. Obviously, we know that's not the case. I think what John is saying is each of these seven churches have the Spirit of God. Now, why is that significant? Because even in the rebukes, even in the corrections, even in the hard things that Jesus had to say to his church, oh, we still have the precious Holy Spirit within us. And then he's going to go on and he'll say something even more difficult. He'll say that, behold, Christ is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him is referring to his second coming, that great day of the Lord. And Jesus will touch down on the earth and set up his kingdom. But he says something difficult. And even those who pierced him will see him. Now see, this confuses a lot of people. Because there's some people who think, well, did Christ come in that first century? Did he come during that time that Jerusalem fell in 70 AD? And all that can be linked to Matthew 24. and, and, And has Christ already come? No, no. What's he mean by that? Listen, Zechariah chapter 12 teaches us that those who pierced him. Who are those who pierced Jesus? Was it the Roman soldiers? Was it the Jews of that day that pierced Jesus? No. I think think what John is saying, it's us, humanity. It's my sin that pierced him. It's your sin that pierced him. It's all of humanity that pierced Him. And the Bible says that when He comes, what it's saying is there will be a day of reckoning that every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. It will be a fearful day for those who are not in Christ Jesus. Now, John goes on in verse 8, and listen to what he says. I am Alpha and Omega. What's he mean by this? Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm beginning to end. I am the first and the last. I'm everything in between. I am all sufficient. I am eternal. That's what Christ is saying. And so the purpose of the book is to reveal The Alpha and Omega. The purpose of the book is to reveal the greatness of God. The purpose of the book is to reveal reveal the eternal sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Now, number two. Follow along with me. Verse number nine. The plight of John. What was going on with John at this time? You know, it's interesting. Even to this day, you can Google where John was. Or you can visit where he was. He was on what's called the Isle of Patmos. You can Google images of it. Basically, the Isle of Patmos is this large rock in the middle of the Aegean Sea. And the purpose that the Roman government had for it is they used it to exile prisoners to labor camps. Basically, it's a big rock. It's about approximately five to six miles wide, and it's about 10 miles long, and they used it to exile prisoners as a labor camp, and John was forced to work in the rock quarries. Church history tells us that John would have been about 90 years old when he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Can you fathom that? My grandfather, Lord willing, will be 90 come August. And John was 90 years old and they exiled him to this labor camp to work in the Rock quarries. The Roman government had approximately 50 places like this that were exiled labor camps out in the sea. And here John was at 90 years old. See, I always thought John was exiled and it was like a deserted island and he just sat out there and had nothing to do. And he was, no, no, friends, this was a labor camp. John was in forced labor at 90 years old. But listen to what John says. Listen to this. Oh, how beautiful. But John says, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, (laughs) and God had something to say to him. Amen. Let me tell you something, there is no reason why you and I should not be in the Spirit, especially in the house of God on the Lord's day, amen? If John was 90 years old, if John was forced into labor, if John was in an exiled Roman government labor camp, What's going on in our life that we cannot be in the Spirit and we cannot be in gratitude to God, that we cannot be thankful for what God's doing in our life. And listen to what John says. I I find this fascinating, verse 9. Listen to what he says. He says, and I, John, he says, a brother and a partner in tribulation in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You know, watch this now. Watch the humility. John doesn't say, I, John, a great apostle. He's the last of the remaining eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. John followed Jesus all the way to the cross. John was the disciple who Jesus personally loved. And John doesn't say, I am the great apostle. No, what does John say? John says, I, a brother. Do you hear the humility in that? I, a brother and a companion, a partner in tribulation. Listen, my friends, when you go through difficulties. When you go through sorrows. When you go through hardships and heartaches. Don't have the attitude, well, why is God allowing this? And What's God doing to me? And Why is God picking on me? No, don't have that attitude. Have the attitude of the great apostle John. I'm a brother, I'm a sister, and I am a partner in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Is that not the right perspective that we ought to have? Amen. So next, John is going to say, the Lord calls him up. He's in the Spirit. On the Lord's Day, we've seen the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is to reveal Jesus, is to tell us what is to come. It is to give a great blessing to those who study and and live by it. The seven churches, the number of completeness, what God is doing on the earth. And now we've seen the plight of John at 90 years old. He's exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And here he is instructed to pen the word of God. When When the earth shut John out, heaven opened up for him. Amen. I love it. And now, number three, we see the picture of Jesus. When John turns, and he's in the Spirit, and God's showing him mighty things, when he turns, watch what he sees. He sees seven golden lampstands. Now this is significant. This is going to represent the seven churches. It's not the only churches, remember, but it's a picture of all churches, the completeness, of the church of Jesus Christ. And I believe it's the completeness. From the beginning. When John wrote it. All the way through the rapture. Even unto the church of Laodicea. Even to our day and our age. And should the Lord tarry. And the Lord not come back for another thousand years. It will include that as well. And so he sees the seven golden lampstands. Scholars tell us this would have been a circular. Seven golden lampstands in a circle. And in the midst of them, what does he see? He sees Jesus Christ. But what he sees is different from the last time he saw Christ. He sees Him in all of His greatness and all of His glory. And listen to what John tells us he sees. First of all, he tells us Christ had on a white robe with a golden sash across His chest. Oh, I love this church. When I read this, my mind just immediately goes back to what did Jesus wear when he was on the earth? I imagine being an ordinary, average man, like a carpenter. I imagine that he didn't have the best of clothes. You remember what happened when he was born? He was swaddled. Right? Right? That little garment. Whatever they used to swaddle him as a baby. And as he grew up and became a man. I imagine being a carpenter's income. I imagine he didn't have very much. And then as he came into his ministry. And he was a traveling teacher. A traveling rabbi. I imagine Jesus didn't have much. Remember he said foxes have holes in the ground. And birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And I imagine that Jesus didn't. I don't think he had a lot. You remember when he died on the cross for my sin and your sin. Do you remember what the Roman soldiers did? They stripped our Lord Jesus. They stripped him of his clothes. Can you imagine how bloody they were? Imagine how soaked in blood they were and they gambled for his clothing see what they didn't know what awaited Jesus Christ the beautiful flowing white garment with a golden sash church this speaks of his greatness <laughs> it speaks of the greatness of Jesus Christ and let me tell you let me tell you what awaits believers here's what the book of revelation tells us what awaits us is a white robe revelation 19:8 it will be a dazzling White robe with the finest of white linen. And that's what scripture awaits us. And here's what the Bible says. Only those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb will enter that great and glorious city. Only those who've washed their Have you washed your robes? Are your sins forgiven by Jesus? Will water away to you a beautiful white garment Dazzling white, that will be the finest, the finest of linen, Revelation nineteen eight. Secondly, John says his hair was white like snow. It was white as wool. What does this speak of? This speaks to the wisdom and the holiness of Jesus Christ. Remember last week when we studied the great white throne judgment? You remember what white represented? The purity Of His judgments. The purity of the holiness of His standards. Yes, His white hair represents the purity. The righteousness. The greatness. The holiness of Jesus Christ. Then it says, listen to this. It says that He had eyes like flames of fire. What does this speak of? It says that Jesus Christ sees all things. He knows all things. Nothing will slip past Jesus Christ. You think today that you're sinning and Jesus doesn't notice? No, my friend. His eyes of fire sees it all. Has someone hurt you? Has someone wronged you? Has someone violated you? Has someone damaged you? Listen, Jesus sees it all. That's why the Bible says, Don't take vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Why? His eyes of fire sees it all. Amen. Next he says, now watch this. It says his feet are bronze and uh, 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 varnished uh, bronze. Now throughout all of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, bronze speaks of judgment. Bronze speaks of the judgment of God. Why... Why is there so much judgment in the book of Revelation? Well, friends, understand this. See, when Jesus takes that mighty scroll in His hand, Revelation 5, that's His will, that's the inheritance. That's human history. And when He takes that mighty scroll in His hand, John says, no one in heaven, on the earth, no one was worthy... To open the scroll, to break its seals, only the Lamb of God. And when Christ takes that scroll and he breaks those seals, do you know what those seals are? Those are judgments upon the earth. Now where will will the church be at this time? Revelation chapter 3. I think we're gone. Laodicea church age has closed. I believe those who are around the throne of God, as I argued two weeks ago in the Bema judgment seat of Christ, will be around the throne of God, watching Jesus, the Lamb of God. See, chapter 1 is about, it's all about the lordship of Christ. Chapters 2 and 3, it's about the letters of Christ to us, the church. Chapters 4 and 5 is about the Lamb of God and His sovereignty to break. The seals. To take the scroll and to break the seals. Amen. So what will happen? We'll see those seals break. As those seals break. Those are judgments upon the earth. Why? For what purpose? Because friends. Sin must be judged. And in those seven seals. As each one breaks. That will be a judgment. During the tribulation period. That last seal, inside that seal, are seven new judgments, which are trumpet judgments. Within the last trumpet judgment are seven greater judgments, which will be the bold judgments. 21 judgments upon the earth. But friends, listen. If you're in Christ, if you're born again, if you are saved, ransomed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then where is our sin It was already absorbed by Jesus Christ. Christ took our sin. Christ died for our sin. And judgment, our judgment, was upon Jesus Christ. And that's why one day, Revelation 4 and 5, you and I will sing to the Lamb of God before the throne of God, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Because we'll never face Such judgment from God. Amen. His feet were as bronze. Speaks of judgment. Out of his mouth. His voice was like roaring waters. Out of his. I'm sorry. His right hand. He had seven stars. And out of his mouth came a double edged sword. We know that speaks of the word of God. And then lastly what's he say? His face shone like the brightness of the sun. Hallelujah. Now watch this. I don't want you to miss this. The seven golden candlesticks, were they light unto themselves? No. The candlesticks are not the light. The candlesticks are the bearers of the light. But where is the true light? The true light is in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what that tells me, church? We are not to attract people to our church. We are to attract people to Jesus and Jesus only. We are to lift Him high, not ourselves. This summer and going into the fall, we are going to do a new campaign here at the church, a new theme. And I am loving it. The, the Lord showed me this. He literally, even though I am blind, He showed me this in my mind's eye. I saw it perfectly perfectly. Have you seen churches do those campaigns called, I love my church? Well, that's what we're going to do. If you can picture this on a t-shirt, it's, I saw it on a t-shirt. It's going to say, I heart my church. But here's what the Holy Spirit said to do. God said, flip it on its head. What we're going to do is we're going to scratch out my church. And handwritten is going to be the gospel. I love, not my church. The gospel, amen? We don't need people to love this church. This church will let you down. This church will fail you in some way. Don't love the candlestick. Don't love the lampstand. Love the true light, which is Jesus Christ, amen? And if we lift him high, he will draw this whole city to himself and not to us. Not to us. We are not the light, church. The only light we have is the true light that comes from the face of Jesus Christ. Is that what your life reflects? Now, we've seen, we've seen the purpose of the book. We've seen the plight of John. We've seen the picture of Jesus. Oh, my Baptist brothers would be so proud of me. They would say, that's a good sermon, Chad. That's good. Amen. Four Ps. And now lastly, (laughs) it's those Baptist roots, I tell you. And now lastly, the promise to all believers. Now, John writes, when he saw all this, follow me, verse 16, verse 17. Watch what he does. Verse 13, he sees Christ as he truly is. Verse sixteen, seventeen. Watch what he does. He falls as a dead man. What do you think you're going to do when you see Jesus for the first time? John who knew him well. John who saw him do all of his miracles. John who was at the last supper. John who followed him all the way to the cross. The only disciple that was found at the cross. John who ran to his tomb with Peter and saw the empty tomb. John who saw him come appear through the door and through the wall in John chapter 21. John who saw him in his great ascension in Acts chapter 1. John who saw all of this fell as a dead man. And do you know what Jesus did? Watch it. Follow along. Jesus put his right hand on him. And Jesus said the most beautiful words in chapter 1. He said, fear not. Do you realize that over 100 times in the Gospels alone, Jesus said some variation of fear not. Take courage. Take good cheer. Do not fear. Over 100 times. You know what this tells me, church? This tells me that God takes our fears serious. God understands our fears. And he takes them very serious. And do you know what Jesus said to John? Fear not. You know what I think Jesus is saying to us today? In all the chaos that we're seeing? I think Jesus is saying, fear not. And Jesus gives us three reasons why not to fear. And i close with this. Brother, you can mad or... Who, Eric, whoever, Matt, I think, if you can, you can come on, brother. Three things to not fear. Listen to what he says. He says, I am the first and I am the last. Amen. What, what's that mean? I'm Alpha and I'm Omega. There's none before him, there's none after him. He is the mighty God, the everlasting. He says, number two, I'm the one who lived. And died, and now I live forevermore. Jesus overcame the grave. That's the gospel. His death, his burial, and his beautiful resurrection. And number three, Jesus says, Behold, I have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Amen? What is it that you and I fear the most? It's death. And you know what Jesus says we ought not fear? We should never fear death again. You know why? Because he's the first and the last. He died. He lived and died. And behold, he's alive forevermore. And now he owns the keys. He has the power, the authority to death, hell, and the grave. And you know what that mighty God says to us? Fear not. What we're going to see through the rest of the book of Revelation is the fiercest judgment of God. Jesus said it's so fierce. There's never been a time like it in history. And Jesus said there'll never be a time like it afterward. But what does He say to His people? Fear not. Are you someone that the book of Revelation scares you? I would say to you, fear not. Are you someone that world events right now is scaring you? I would say to you, fear not. Are you someone that fears death? Fear not. Are you someone that fears that you fear eternity and what awaits us? Christ would say to you, fear not. He is Alpha. And Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And he is our Lord and he is our Savior. Listen, listen, listen. I'm finished with this. If Jesus did what he did for us on the earth, what do you think he's going to do for us in eternity? Amen. Do you remember what he told his followers? John chapter 14 verse 1. Behold, you believe in God, believe also in me. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. And if I go, I will come again. And receive you unto myself. What did Jesus do for a living? He was a carpenter. How many days did it take God to create the earth? seven seven in all of its sin in all of its woes in all of its problems is the earth not beautiful and it took God seven days what do you think our eternity is going to be with Christ spending 2,000 years preparing it oh my friends don't fear eternity don't fear meeting Jesus you say Chad you don't know my life you don't know my past. You don't know my sins. You don't know my failures. You don't know my rebellion. Listen, you give all that to Jesus, all the judgment He took. And you and I will never face the judgment. We have escaped the judgment of God. And what does He say to us as followers going forward? Fear That's why you can read and study the book of Revelation. That's why we can look at today's events and rise above all the noise. That's why we can face coronavirus. And that's why we can face all the uncertainty. And that's why all the volatility does not shake us. Friends, God is shaking everything on the earth that can be shaken. But the Bible says in Hebrews, we've been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do you know why I'm not shaken today? Because I'm on the rock of Jesus Christ. Are you? Fear not. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this great book. I want to thank you for chapter one and all that it teaches us. I want to thank you, God, for your mysteries that you've hidden from the world but that you've made known and revealed to us today, your people. Thank you, God. Now, with your heads about and your eyes closed, perhaps there's someone here today that you're not ready to meet God. You're not ready to stand before Jesus, before those feet of bronze, those eyes of fire. That voice as a roaring water. You're not ready. Should you stand before Jesus today? Judgment would fall on you. But see, judgment's already fell on Jesus. And if you're found in Him, there will be no judgment for you. Perhaps you're here today and you say, Chad, I want to transfer my sins to Christ. I, I want to give Him my sins. And he give me his grace and his forgiveness. Right there in your chair. Right there. Right there. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. Right there, right where you're sitting. I want you to pray this in your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, will you take my sin today? And will you forgive me a sinner? Come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior and rescue me from sin. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for grace. Thank you for delivering me. In Jesus' name.